You're listening to The World in My Eyes. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Hello, Renegade Nation Atlanta. And welcome back for another episode of The World in My Eyes, where I get the opportunity of sharing all those crazy voices in my head and what they say on a regular basis with each and every one of you. And we have spent such a great deal of time getting so very intimate with each other. But in case you're new, where the hell have you been? Nah, I'm just kidding. I am the naughty mistress with the mostess, the melodic goddess, and the deviant diva, naughty Nicole Delacroix. And before we get started with today's episode, I do have to remind all you naughty little listeners out there that if you're searching for some naughtiness on the internet, then make sure that our sponsor, Adam and Eve Toys, is your destination. Because guess what? By being a renegade listener, they're going to give you one hell of a deal. Use special offer code BABE69, that's B-A-B-E-69. They're going to give you 50% off of one very special item. But that's not all. No, no, no. They're also going to give you free shipping, three choice adult movies to get you inspired, and a very special renegade-only listener gift. And let me tell you this. The folks over at Adam and Eve Toys really do know how to treat you right. So make sure you head on over there today and pick out something really naughty before our offer code expires. Also, the Renegade Talk Radio Network is growing by leaps and bounds every single day. We've got a brand new website, so make sure you've got it bookmarked. And make sure you're checking out all the fascinating and provocative shows that are on the website. And don't forget... There's so much more great talk radio on its way to you, so make sure you check back daily. Because I promise you this, you do not want to miss what's coming up next. And if you need a break from the great talk radio on Renegade, what the hell is wrong with you? No, I'm kidding. Don't forget to check out Sky Pilot Radio, playing the best music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And featuring the real Don Steele and M.G. Kelly daily. That's right, daily! All right, my little heathens, let's jump into today's topic because it's a good one. I hope you like it. On today's episode of The World in My Eyes, we're going to be exploring yet another wondrous time of year. That's right, boys and girls. Today, I'm going to share with you all the wonder and excitement of another of my favorite holidays. Well, okay, one of my favorite food holidays anyways. (laughs) Most of us, well, us Americans anyways grew up learning all about the first Thanksgiving. And most of us remember the story and the god-awful plays that we were forced to endure, right guys? Both as children and now as adults. That tells that tale of a fateful winter. Now, the basic story for those of you who aren't American, or maybe those of you that weren't paying attention back in 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, goes a little something like this. And I'm going to be paraphrasing because we all know the story. But basically, the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower and the Indians who were already here in this country took a little bit of a shine to that group and decided to teach them how to cultivate the land and more importantly, how to grow food. And because of this gesture of kindness, the pilgrims decided to have a feast and invite the Indians. And this is what every American schoolchild learns 
about how Thanksgiving came about. It's a really sweet story. And it's all about different people coming together in tolerance and friendship to celebrate the fall harvest. Too bad it's utter bullshit. (laughs) That's right. Most stories about Thanksgiving start with the harvest celebration of the pilgrims and the Native Americans, which took place somewhere in the autumn of 1621. And even though they did actually have a three-day feast, and it was a celebration of a good harvest, and the local natives did participate, this first Thanksgiving was nothing more than a gathering. In fact, there's really very little evidence that this feast of thanks led directly to our modern day Thanksgiving holiday. So today I want to talk about the real history of Thanksgiving. And I'm sorry guys, but I'm going to be giving you the non-kid friendly version of what really happened. So in order to do that, we need to go back a little bit further. Yeah, the pilgrims landed in 1620, but our story, well, it begins in 1614. And that's when a band of English explorers were sailing home back to England, and they had a ship full of Pawtuxet, or as we better know them as, the Pawtucket, Indians that were bound for slavery in England. And those English explorers, well, they left behind in their wake smallpox, which virtually wiped out those few Indians who had not who had not been captured and had escaped. Now, the pilgrims who sailed to this country aboard the Mayflower were originally members of the English Separatist Church, which is a Puritan sect. They had earlier fled their home in England and sailed to Holland or the Netherlands to escape religious persecution. Once in Holland, they enjoyed more religious tolerance, but they eventually became disenchanted with the Dutch way of life, thinking it ungodly. Hmm. Seeking a better life, the separatists negotiated with a London stock company to finance a pilgrimage to America. Most of those making the trip aboard the Mayflower were non-separatists, but were hired to protect the company's interests. Only about one-third of the original colonists were actually separatists. Now, the pilgrims set ground at Plymouth Rock on December 11, 1620. Now, When the pilgrims arrived in Massachusetts Bay, they found only one living Pawtuxet Indian, a man named Squanto, who had survived slavery in England and actually knew their language. And Squanto taught those pilgrims how to grow corn, how to fish, and even helped negotiate a peace treaty between the pilgrims and the Wampanoag Nation, or also known as the Massasoit Nation. That first winter was devastating. At the beginning of the following fall, they had lost 46 of the original 102 who had sailed on the Mayflower. But the harvest of 1621 was a bountiful one. And the remaining colonists decided to celebrate with a feast, including 91 of the natives who had helped the pilgrims survive that first dreadful year. It's believed that the pilgrims would not have made it through the year without the help of the natives, so Governor William Bradford sent four men fowling after wild ducks and geese. 
It's not certain that wild turkey was part of the feast. However, it is certain that they did have venison. And unfortunately for us, the term turkey was used by the pilgrims to mean any sort of wild fowl. So really could have been wild chicken for all we know. Another modern staple at almost every Thanksgiving table is pumpkin pie. But it's unlikely that the first feast ever included that special little treat. Thank God I'm not a fan. Sorry, I don't like pumpkin pie. Kill me. Give me chocolate cream pie and I am all over that shit. Anyways, the supply of flour had been long had long been dis- diminished, so there was no bread or pastries of any kind. However, they did eat boiled pumpkin, and they produced a type of fried bread from the corn crop. There was also no milk, cider, potatoes, or butter. Because, guess what? There was no domestic cattle for dairy products, and the newly discovered potato was still considered by many of the Europeans to be poisonous. Cut those things into fries and fry those bad boys up and we'll eat them all day long, right? But the feast did include fish, berries, watercress, lobster, dried dried fruit, clams, venison, and plums. The feast was more of a traditional English harvest festival than a true Thanksgiving observance, and it lasted for the full three days. Now, this Thanksgiving feast was not repeated the following year, no. In fact, it was many years that passed before the event was repeated, and I'm going to tell you why. Because as word spread in England about the paradise to be found in the New World, Religious zealots called Puritans began arriving by the boatload. And yes, I wanted to call that the buttload, but we'll call it the boatload for now. Finding no fences around the land, they considered it to be public domain. And they were joined by other British settlers, and they all seized land, capturing strong young natives for slaves and killing the rest. But the Pequot nation had not agreed to the peace treaty that Squanto had negotiated and fought back. That's right, we're going to be talking about the Pequot War, and it was one of the bloodiest Indian wars ever fought. In 1637, near present-day Groton, Connecticut, over 700 men, women, and children of the Pequot tribe had gathered for their annual Green Corn Festival, which is what we consider our Thanksgiving celebration. In the pre-dawn hours, the sleeping Indians were surrounded by English and Dutch mercenaries who ordered them to come outside. Those who ventured outside were shot or clubbed to death, while the terrified women and children who huddled inside the longhouses were burned alive. The next day, the governor governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony declared a day of thanksgiving, because 700 unarmed men, women, and children had been murdered. Well, we haven't come very far from there, have we? Cheered by their victory, the brave colonists and their Indian allies attacked village after village. Women and children over 14 years of age were sold into slavery, while the rest were murdered. Boats loaded with as many as 500 slaves regularly left the ports of New England. Bounties were paid for Indian scalps to encourage as many deaths as possible. 
Following an especially successful raid against the Pequot in what is now Stamford, Connecticut, the churches announced a second day of Thanksgiving to celebrate victory over the heathen savages. During the feasting, they hacked off heads of natives and they kicked them through the streets like soccer balls. Even the friendly Wampanoag did not escape that madness. No, their chief was beheaded and his head was impaled on a pole in Plymouth, Massachusetts, where it remained on display for 24 years. The killings became more and more frenzied, with days of Thanksgiving feasts being held after each successful massacre. It wasn't until June of 1676 that another Day of Thanksgiving was officially proclaimed. On June 20th of that year, the Governing Council of Charlestown, Massachusetts, held a meeting to determine how best to express thanks for the good fortune that had seen their, com their community securely established. By unanimous vote, they instructed Edward Rawson, the clerk, to proclaim June 29th as a Day of Thanksgiving. By then, it had become apparent to the settlers that the natives were a mere hindrance to their quest for more land, so that goodwill that they shared at that first feast had been long lost. A hundred years later, in October of 1777, all 13 colonies joined in a Thanksgiving celebration. It also commemorated the patriotic victory over the British at Saratoga, but it was a one-time affair. George Washington proclaimed a National Day of Thanksgiving in 1789, although some were opposed to it. There was discord among the colonies, many feeling the hardships of a few pilgrims didn't warrant a national holiday. And later, President Thomas Jefferson opposed the idea outright of having a day of Thanksgiving. But it was Sarah Josepha Hale, a magazine editor whose efforts eventually led to what we recognize as Thanksgiving. Hale wrote many editorials championing her cause in her Boston Ladies Magazine and later in Goody's Ladies Book. Finally, after a 40-year campaign of writing editorials and letters to governors and presidents, Hale's obsession became a reality when in 1863, President Lincoln proclaimed the last Thursday in November as a national day of Thanksgiving during the Civil War. Ironically, on the same day, he ordered troops to march against the starving Sioux in Minnesota. Thanksgiving was proclaimed by every president after Lincoln. The date was changed a couple of times, most recently by Franklin Roosevelt, who set it up one week to the next to last Thursday in order to create a longer Christmas shopping season. Public uproar against that decision caused the president to move Thanksgiving back to its original date two years later. And in 1941, Thanksgiving was finally sanctioned by Congress as a legal holiday as the fourth Thursday in November. But I'm guessing the story doesn't have quite that same warm, fuzzy feeling as the one where the Indians and the pilgrims all sat down together at the big feast table. But it's important that we learn our true history, so hopefully we won't ever repeat it. All right, my autumnal listeners, we're just getting started. And before we get too far into it, we need to take a moment to visit our sponsors and maybe check out a little bit of music. 
You're listening to The World in My Eyes. I am still Naughty Nicole, and this is Renegade Talk Radio Atlanta. So grab some turkey and (laughs) meet me back here after the break. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration, plus a free extra gift so sensual, we can't mention it on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type BABE69 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE69 at adamandeve.com. And welcome back, Renegade Nation. If you're just tuning in, this is the world in my eyes. And I am still Naughty Nicole. And today, we've been talking about the history of Thanksgiving. Now, before you go filling up on too much food and settle in for football, make sure you're visiting our sponsor, Adam and Eve Toys. They have a vast selection of adult toys, movies, and oh, so much more. And if you're looking for something special, head on over to Adam and Eve Toys because they will treat you right. So remember to use offer code BABE69, that's B-A-B-E-69, to get one hell of a deal. And you better do it soon because Christmas is right around the corner. Get something special for Santa! Now, do you love Thanksgiving? I mean, seriously, do you love everything about the holiday? From the food to seeing all of your crazy-ass relatives. But I promise you this. I know, I went a little heavy on the first section. But we're going to have some fun now. Because you're going to be amazed at all the information that goes into this holiday. And you thought cooking a turkey was going to be your only challenge. No. So let's talk about some crazy facts related to Thanksgiving. (laughs) Did you know, and I'm sure everybody knows this, but if you didn't, every year... The President of the United States frees one lucky turkey while millions of his brethren are consigned to the dinner table. Though turkey farmers have been sending presidents the choicest birds since the 1800s, President John F. Kennedy was the very first on record that spared a turkey. In 1963, he sent back a turkey that was sent to him by the National Turkey Federation, saying... Let's just let this one grow. President Richard Nixon sent turkeys to a Washington, D.C. petting farm, but didn't officially pardon them, according to a White House blog. In fact, that honor goes to President George Herbert Walker Bush. He gave the first official pardon to a turkey in 1989. The survivor lived out his days in a Virginia petting zoo ironically named Frying Pan Park. That was tasteless, I know. Sorry. Now, after a day of gorging, 
many Americans sit down to watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade. It's an annual tradition that didn't get started until 1924, when Macy's employees held a Christmas parade filled with knights, clowns, and jugglers. The six-mile, or 9.7-kilometer, if you happen to be, you know, on the metric system, long parade attracted a crowd of 250,000 viewers. The department store decided to hold it every single year. The very first balloon was Felix the Cat, and it floated above the parade way back in 1927. And Mickey Mouse? Well, he didn't make his first appearance until 1934. Now, if you're like me, and I know you are, you love turkey. Seriously, I eat more turkey than any one person should ever be allowed to eat. I love turkey. I eat it all the time. But if you ever feel groggy after that old-fashioned Thanksgiving meal, well, you're going to have to blame the bird on the plate. Sorry. Turkey meat does contain tryptophan. It's an amino acid that the body uses to make serotonin. It's a neurotransmitter in the brain that helps you regulate your sleep. However, all meat contains tryptophan and pretty much at comparable levels. Other tryptophan-rich foods include cheese, nuts, and shellfish. But what makes the Thanksgiving meal so memorably tiring is the mix of meat with carbohydrates. Yep, carbs from stuffing, sweet potatoes, bread, pie, and sugary sweets stimulate the release of insulin, which then triggers the uptake of most amino acids, except for tryptophan, from the blood into the muscles. With the other amino acids swept out of the bloodstream, well, tryptophan doesn't have to compete. And it's better able to make its way to the brain to help produce that serotonin, which then preps you for a nice long nap after a great big meal. Another family pastime is Thanksgiving football. Oh, what would Thanksgiving be without football? And that tradition has its root roots in the Great Depression. After the Portsmouth Spartans moved to Detroit in 1930, the team's owner knew he had to do something to draw football fans to the new team. In 1934, he arranged a match between the Spartans, which he renamed the Lions, and the world champion Chicago Bears. Though the Spartans lost, a Thanksgiving tradition was born. The game sold out two weeks in advance, and the event became such a hit that it was repeated the year after. And that time, the Lions actually won. Of course, I'm pretty sure that was the last time they ever won. <gasps> Lions fans are going to be so mad at me. I'm sorry. I'm not a fan of any sport, so don't kill me. Now, don't be disappointed if the turkeys at your local petting zoo refuse to gobble. Guess what? It's probably a female, which is actually called a hen. Male turkeys are the ones that gobble, because they're the only ones that can. And it's such an adorable gobbling sound. Each male turkey has his own unique gobbling technique, which he combines with strutting to attract a potential mate. Female turkeys, on the other hand, communicate through clucks and small chirp-like noises. Now here's an interesting fact. 
Did you know that wild turkeys can fly for short bursts of speeds of up to 55 miles per hour? Or 89 kilometers for those metric people. Yeah, I know. When I have my wild turkey, I tend to fly too. Oh, wait, that's not the same, is it? Oh, well. However, they aren't often spotted soaring through the sky because they prefer to feed on the ground. That's where they peck at grass, seeds, acorns, nuts, berries, and small insects like grasshoppers. The myth of turkey's inability to fly might stem from the fact that many domestic turkeys, such as the broad-breasted white turkey, which is, by the way, the most widely used breed commercially, can't fly. They're too weighed down by their own meat. These birds have been selectively bred to be much heavier and possess a larger, broader breast, the weight of which keeps them perpetually grounded. Now, because turkeys are so large and heavy, and, by the way, the heftiest wild turkey weighing in at 37 pounds, or 17 kilograms for you metric people, according to the National Wild Turkey Federation, it's often assumed that these big birds stick to the ground. In fact, turkeys prefer to sleep perched atop tree branches, where they are safe from predators, which include coyotes, foxes, and raccoons. They often sleep in flocks, and upon waking, call out a series of soft yelps before descending to make sure that the rest of their roosting group is okay after a night of not seeing or hearing one another. Wow, it's starting to sound like my family. Oh, okay. Now, the centerpiece of many a Thanksgiving table once sported a beard. Much like my family. (laughs) Well, sort of. (laughs) The hair-like bristles that grow from the chests of male turkeys, or gobblers, and some hens are actually specialized feathers called mesophyloplumes that grow from a single follicle. They can be lengthy, with some bird beards touching the ground, although feeding tends to wear down the ends, at least according to the Pennsylvania Game Commission. And some birds have to. Gobblers with a whopping eight beards have actually been spotted, according to that game commission. Though of the 10% of multiple beard turkeys, most only have two. Though scientists aren't certain the purpose of the phyloplumes, they could serve a sensory function. Their movement could send information to birds about their tiny movements, and they could tell a bird when its contour feathers need adjusting according to the nature of feathers. Now, as many of you hunters out there know, turkeys have excellent vision. Because its eyes are on the sides of its head, the turkey has periscopic vision, which allows it to see objects that are not in its direct line of vision. By rotating its head, the turkey has a 360-degree field of vision. And did you know that when a turkey becomes frightened, agitated, excited, or even sick. The exposed skin on its head and neck can change from its usual pale pink or bluish-gray color to a red, white, or blue. How patriotic. And during mating season, the male turkey's wattle turns scarlet to reflect his elevated sex hormone levels. Now that sounds like some people I know. The fleshy flap of skin that hangs over the gobbler's beak is called a snood, and also turns bright red when the bird is excited. Watch out for that, because they will attack. (laughs) 
And here's one part of the turkey that your kids will definitely not be fighting over at this Thanksgiving table. It's part of the bird's stomach, which is called the gizzard. It contains tiny stones that the bird has previously swallowed. Also known as gastroliths, these polished stones aid in the breakdown of food for digestion, since birds don't have teeth. They do, however, have two stomachs, the first of which is called the glandular stomach, where food is softened and broken down by gastric juices. The food then enters the turkey's gizzard, which is extremely muscular and further dissolves the food by grinding it against the gastroliths before moving the mulch along into the intestines or back into the glandular stomach for a more thorough digestion. Now here's one your kids are going to love. A turkey's wishbone? You know, the one that you and your sister or your brother pull from opposite ends just to see who gets the middle nodule? is formed by the fusion of the bird's two collarbones. Also called a furcular, the bone serves as the connecting point for muscles and a brace for the wings. During the bird's flapping, and yes, turkeys can fly at 50 miles an hour, don't forget, the wishbone acts as a spring to store and release energy. This elasticity is also the reason snapping a wishbone before it dries is so tough. Turns out, the wishbone is more than a fun game for Turkey Day. It also serves as a reminder that birds evolved from a group of dinosaurs. Researchers have found that the wishbone dates back more than 150 million years to a group of meat-eating dinosaurs that maybe you've heard of. The T-Rex and the Velociraptor? Does that mean that Jurassic Park is going to be our new Thanksgiving movie? I'm for it. And apparently, Benjamin Franklin was a huge fan of the humble gobbling bird. And so am I. According to the Franklin Institute, he wrote in a letter to his daughter, and I quote, For my own part, I wish the bald eagle had not been chosen as the representative of our country. He is a bird of bad moral character. He does not get his living honestly. Like those among men who live by sharping and robbing, he is generally poor and often very lousy. Besides, he is a rank coward. The little kingbird, not bigger than a sparrow, attacks him boldly and drives him out of the district. For in truth, the turkey is in comparison a much more respectable bird, and withal with a true original native of America. Eagles have been found in all countries, but the turkey was peculiar to ours. Well put, Mr. Franklin, well put. And with that, we've come to the end of our episode. And I do thank you for joining me today. And I hope you had a filling time. <laughs> and remember, as always, I would love to hear from you. You can find me at my website, www.nicole-delacroix.com or on Twitter at at Nicole Delacroix. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, then make sure you pick up a copy of my book, Sexual Confessional Confidential Admissions from Social Media. It's available now on Amazon.com and all other major booksellers. Well, that's our time for today, and I want to thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio Atlanta. Don't forget to tune in next time. Until then, remember... In the immortal words of Johnny Carson, Thanksgiving is an emotional time. 
People travel thousands of miles to be with people that they only see once a year. And discover once a year is way too often. See you next time, my precious little heathens. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.